listening to the Agent Survival Guide podcast. A podcast for today's insurance agents. Informing. Educating. Empowering. Improving the way you do business in an industry that's anything but static. In today's episode, we are taking a deep dive into the agency side of insurance. So we're talking about what it takes to start your own agency, how running an agency works, and why it's beneficial to work with an FMO. Joining me today are two gentlemen who have worked in the business for quite a while, and they know what they're talking about. We have Craig Ritter, president and owner of Ritter Insurance Marketing, and we have Dave Dietz, Senior Vice President of Marketing from Ritter Insurance Marketing as well. Hello to you both and welcome to this episode of the Agent Survival Guide podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So much for being here. here. (laughs) Hi. Uh, So we'll get into these questions here. Um, Craig, this first one's pretty much um, for you. We know that your entry into insurance uh, was through your father, Cal. But imagine that you are a newly licensed health agent. Um, You're looking to sell Medicare on the side. You don't have long-term plans to sell, but who knows? Before contracting with carriers, would you create an LLC right away or would you start off as an individual agent to see where it goes? Yeah, I I think I would start out as an individual agent. I don't think I would jump right into forming an LLC, especially if I was just doing it on the side. Um, what I would say, it kind of depends on what product you're looking to sell. So if you are selling Medicare Advantage and Medicare Part D, um, I would strongly recommend forming that LLC sooner rather than later. Um, but I think to get started out, especially if you're just talking about a single state, if you're just marketing in one state, I think it would be fine to start out as an individual agent. Um, you know. Obviously, you have to monitor as things progress and as things grow. Um, If you're heavy in Medicare Advantage and Medicare Part D, you definitely want to get the LLC set up uh, for the continuity of commissions. Um, As far as creating the LLC, what would be a situation or scenario where you would set that up right away? Is there, um, if you were more so looking to get into Medicare gung-ho full force, this is going to be my full-time thing, I'm switching over, or? I think if you're all in, right? So if you're all into that, then I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, Maybe you have a a company that's already established that's that's somewhat... um, correlate, you know, kind of correlated to that, um, that business. And, and it's, so it's maybe an extension of an existing business or something that where you know that this is what you're going to be doing, then I would probably start it right away. Uh, I don't think it's, there's a lot of pain in converting from individual to, to LLC. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of your expenses are, are legal expenses and, and uh, contracting. So it is more complicated, but not overly so that it would be that problematic, I think, to, to convert at some point if you, if you went that route. But All right. So what qualities should recruiting agents be looking for in downline agents when they are trying to build a producing hierarchy? Oh, you want me to start with this one, Dave? Sure. <laughs> I'll jump in. <laughs> so I don't necessarily, I, I think a lot of agencies maybe make the mistake or, or folks make the mistake that you want to you'd want to hire someone who has an insurance license, Mm -hmm. someone who's already has experience. 
Um, and that's, I think, certainly a possibility to, to be able to, to look at that direction. I mean, I think that's more the direction that we go is that we're looking for more established agents and agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're starting out and building an agency, um, I think you look at the, probably look at the characteristics of the people uh, that you want working with you in your agency and representing you. So I think clearly you want people with good communication skills, you know, verbal, primarily verbal communication skills. I mean, that's, that's critical. So if they uh, use the test, uh, Scott always has the test of, uh, would you want to spend four hours in a car with this person? <laughs> it's a pretty good, I think it's a pretty good test, you know, with communication. I think problem solving, you know, I think agents have to be good problem solvers. I think they have to have some creativity and because a lot of the clients that you talk to, you may explain things one way and they kind of stare at you blankly and just having that creativity to be able to maybe explain it a little bit differently and then the light bulb goes on for them and they understand you know, what you're, what you're trying to say. So um, I think creativity is probably, probably a good attribute for a downline agent. And then I think, um, I think hard work is, uh, it's kind of hard to gauge, but, <laughs> you know, you definitely want someone with a work ethic that, you know, cause it's, it is difficult. Um, it is difficult work and you can't be afraid of failure clearly as an agent, cause you're going to get, uh, you're going to get told no a lot. Uh, so an individual who can kind of bounce back from, you know, rejection or bounce back from a, from a small failure and understand that's a bigger process. It's not just, you know, you don't have to sell every single one, but if you can learn from, you know, learn from your experience, that's almost as important as, as walking out with a sale. Um, and then I think you have to like people, <laughs> you know, some people are, some people like, uh, you know, working with, uh, things and some people like working with people and, and, uh, you, you need to, I mean, I would look for a people person, not saying like you can't, people can, people are pretty flexible in, in how they can apply their skills. But if I had a preference, I'd be, I'd, I'd like someone who's a people person. For me, I think, I think Craig touched on it, but it really comes down to values. I, I want to hire agents that have the same type of values I do, at least when they, in the selling process, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways to sell an insurance policy. And, um, I don't know that I'd be looking for agents that were, you know, using pressure tactics or, you know, for me, it would all be, everything would be up on the, the, the highest level of scrutiny and I'd want to make sure we were doing everything the right way. I also think the question is, you know, it, it also de- would depend on what type of an agency the agency owner was running, whether it was a captive. You know, the number one question that when recruiting an agent that comes in is, where are you going to give me in? How about leads? I mean, that's mm-hmm. the number one thing. So if I'm the type of agency where I'm going to provide more services for agents, then obviously um, maybe some of those questions can be answered with, yes, we will provide leads. But at the end of the day, if that's the whole transaction that I'm going to give you leads and now you're going to work for me, probably not a good start. So, I, But I think, you know, to Craig's point, communication very, very important to be able to communicate to people and hard work. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know that they're, 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 Craig's probably right that you gotta like people, but I've seen many agents that I think can even battle through that if they understand their product and they work hard. Mm-hmm. So um, still gotta be personable. It's tough to sell something to somebody if you're, you're a grouch, but you know, if you keep, you know, 
when I first started, I, I was lucky enough to get trained by Craig's dad, Cal. And one of his lines to me was, if you knock on enough doors, not for MA or PDP, but if you knock on enough doors, you'll get to sales. I just think that if you're more personable, if you have a better personality, you're more likely to get more sales. You know, won't have to knock on as many doors to get to sales. Gotcha. That makes sense. What advice can you give to those individual agents who have had a difficult time finding agents to work with? I think you probably need to find a different, I'm going to struggle on this word, but a differentiator um, that makes you a little bit different than everybody else. Because there's certainly different levels of agents um, or agencies out there. So obviously agents that work directly with us, um, we provide a lot of online services, but we're not necessarily doing any hand-holding services. Uh, right. Nobody within our office is going out and um, actually helping somebody on an appointment, coaching them through the appointment. Um, for the most part, we're looking at agents that already know how to sell. We're just offering them tools for the most part to make life easier. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I think that you got to find something. You know, maybe it's a, a partnership somewhere. You know. Maybe before you find an agent, you have to find a partnership that helps you separate yourself from other agencies out there mm -hmm. and provide some, you know, once again, I know earlier I said not to just provide leads, but if I'm recruiting an agent, there needs to be some reason as mm -hmm. to why, why I want to work with you. Um, one thing that I do recommend to our, some of our smaller agencies is to certainly use the tools of Ritter Insurance Marketing as your own. Mm -hmm. um, we had one agency where... The promotion was, you know, get the power of Ritter's tools mm -hmm. with the local experience of my agency. So mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to answer the questions about what hospitals are in network and which plans are better and where where the local senior centers are in the area. Mm -hmm. But Ritter's going to supply me all of the online tools and, and some of the uh, back office support that maybe I as a one-man show can't do. Right, right. I think, too, I mean, if you're having problems finding agents, you might want to take a step back and maybe broaden your view. Like maybe you're looking in the wrong, maybe you're looking in the wrong place. And and I think sometimes you have to be creative. Sometimes I think you get boxed into like what's a, what makes a good agent, mm -hmm. you know. I think a nurse could be a great agent. <laughs> I think somebody who works at Best Buy could be a great I mean, there's a lot of places, I mean, you could be a waitress or, you know, work in food service and be a great agent. I mean, to Craig's point, there have been many a server that whenever I've gotten served my meal, I looked up and I thought, man, what a great agent this person would be or salesperson. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, even within our department, you know, I'm looking for people who can communicate with other people. And all of those positions that Craig just talked about, they, they all have ties to communication. You know, mm -hmm. if you can't communicate... At Best Buy, you're probably just going to be moving the boxes around. You're not going to really be selling the, the product inside. So right. I agree with Craig. And one thing that we have done here is we've been trying. Um, I, I wouldn't say we've been overly successful, but it, I, I think it may come down to a more local, a, a more local market. But you know, connecting at college at college fairs, and um, you know, the one thing that I always think is, you know, insurance to me has always been a pretty noble profession since I've been in it. You know, I know sometimes it has a little bit of a stigma um, about trying to over, you know, they're, oh, they're going to sell me another policy. But for the most part, I mean, there's nothing. I don't think I've had a better thrill at a job than whenever one of my clients called me up and said, hey, thank you so much for 
taking care of me. We didn't have any problems. And, you know, even though that call is usually after an illness or a tragedy, it's still, they're calling me to let me know that without the insurance I sold them, they, they feel that their, their uh, trip to the hospital would have been much more difficult. So, you know, I think that reaching out to the local high school and see if there's an intern program. Maybe yeah. start with an intern at your office. I think there's a lot of different ways, but I do agree with Craig. If you're going after the same agents that have all, already been out there in the market, yeah. that's probably what I was speaking of first, where you got to find a differentiator yeah. for yourself. But if you're going after new agents, and certainly I think, I don't know the statistics, but I do believe that the insurance field is probably slowly, slowly getting older, so it is probably to try to bring in some younger agents mm -hmm. yeah i know i think even if it's not like a major illness or something i think a lot of folks too you talk to to dave's point about being a noble profession they're so confused about all their options and i think even just the peace of mind of having somebody who can clearly lay out this is these are your options and kind of give you the insider view of the whole medicare system help you choose a plan and then feel good about it. So even if you don't use it, I think a lot of folks are just overjoyed that they can talk to somebody and they can help them navigate through that whole morass of, uh, that's Medicare. <laughs> right. I mean, one of, the, one of the biggest reliefs my clients have always had is after the initial appointment, especially if they're turning 65, is to be able to throw away all of the stuff that they've collected in the last three months because they do get a ton, a ton of information sent to them. The one thing I always like to remind at least agents and just people in general too, one thing that's kind of unique about the Medicare field is a lot of times this is the first time that consumer is purchasing health insurance on their own. Mm -hmm. Many people go their entire work careers and for the most part HR or the owners of the business are really the deciders of the insurance. They may have a small say in whether I want an HMO plan or a PPO plan or, or something. But for the most part, you know, they really, when they turn 65, their first going on Medicare, this really is their time to make their own decision on their own. So that's, you know, another plug as to why I always think that insurance agents are going to be needed for as long as Medicare's around. Absolutely. Yeah. My mom is going through that right now. And uh, it's a lot, like you said, when you have someone who, okay, all of our life we've dealt with employer plans. It's been chosen for us. You don't even really have to think too much about, you know, these are the benefits that are included. This is, you know, how I'm going to pay. I'm going to decide whether I'm going to pay for things up front. I'm going to decide whether I'm going to be billed for these things. And then you just get into signing up for Medicare. And it is, it's a lot. It's very overwhelming. So coming back to, uh, back to Ritter and uh, a little bit here on how we run um, our FMO here. We pretty much have followed the 80-20 model where 80% of our efforts were spent growing and strengthening those current relationships that we have with our agents and 20% was spent on recruiting. Do you feel that that's a model that still fits with our current agent base and the growing number of competing agencies with the increased use of marketing via social media platforms? Well, I've always felt the 80-20 rule is kind of one of them rules that you can't really get around. It just mm -hmm. seems to be so true for everything. Um, from our business standpoint, it just makes a lot of sense to put 80% of our effort, because some of the effort that we put into our current agents, mm -hmm. and you know, it's still, you know, we get benefits from it when recruiting. If, if, our, um, if our development team is developing new 
new programs for our current agents. Well, mm -hmm. new agents are going to, you know, we're certainly going to promote to our new agents, hey, here are tools as well. So it is, you know, I, I think when we talk about the 80-20 rule as far as recruitment versus handling and, and strengthening the agents you already have, I think that really goes into just raw recruiting where you, if you look and see the amount of communications out to non-Ritter insurance agents and just trying to find new agents, I think that number 80-20 is right. But I think all in all, there's benefits on both sides. The same way there's benefits for us as a company to recruit new agents and have them, you know, if we're getting newer and younger agents, some of those agents give us ideas that help us retain our current agents, you know, whether it's a program that they were once on or something that they've seen or just an idea. So I think that it's been a good model. I mean, we do a lot of, um, and I'll let Craig finish up, but we do, we do a lot of technology. So whenever you're putting the technology out there, I just, I, at this day and age, I think that's really our differentiator from everybody else is mm -hmm. that um, one of our goals is to make business easier and, and, and more productive for the agent. Um, you know, our goal was always to try to find a way for an agent to free up enough time to write another policy. At the end of the day, that's really what a lot of our tools are trying to do. At the, you know, at the end of their career, maybe it's to make life a little bit easier to manage your book of business as well. Mm -hmm. Craig? Yeah, I think it, you know, it's worked well for us. And, and I think it's about, it's about right. You know, it's about the right mix for, from our perspective. I don't think there's anything morally right or wrong, and, and I'm talking mostly from the from the FMO or NMO space. Some competitors of ours spend quite a bit more on recruiting new agents versus what they're doing with their with their existing agents. Um, there's just different approaches to it, and I feel most comfortable with this approach. That I think the long term, kind of those long term relationships with agents have a lot more value probably than the uh, than trying to kind of mill new agents through yeah. <laughs> through an agency and then then you're kind of dependent on you know do I have the hot product uh, you know at, at the, this particular time um, I don't think that I think one thing that you want to be is flexible so you don't want to get into a, a particular mindset of you know we have to be we always have to be 80 20 right so in particular I think when you see opportunities, um, to be able to present a new product or, or kick off a new carrier or whether from an, from an agency perspective it might be going into a new county or something like that that you know you may want to you may want to bend that rule right so so I wouldn't call it the 8020 rule I'd call it maybe the 8020 guideline <laughs> I'm not big on rules anyway so I don't like rules but I think having that having the flexibility to understand, you know, when it when you should be spending a lot on recruiting new agents and marketing new products. I think that's that's pretty critical too. Yeah, I think that's been one of the philosophies, you know, of our of our company as well, which is we do generally go after opportunities versus, you know, what's next in line. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I know that when we talk to our carriers, sometimes our carrier reps are saying, hey, we really want you to do business in New Hampshire. And when we analyze New Hampshire, we may not think that that's a good market for us to be in. There's more opportunity for us to work in southern New Jersey. So our philosophy has always been to put our time and energy in those, in those markets that make the most sense for us. Mm -hmm. And to Craig's point, um, we have over the years had some opportunities where 
yeah, that 80-20 might be 40-60 or 50-50 mm -hmm. because, it, you know, when you do get some of those opportunities, you do need to go all in if you can, so. Okay. Looking back at the most successful agent relationships Ritter has, were those relationships that were initiated organically through agent referrals or were they through marketing efforts? I don't know if we have great statistics on that, but I, I would, if I had to, if I had to venture a guess at that one, I would say probably referrals have been a bigger source, mm -hmm. especially when you think about, if you think about like an agency and they're, you know, building their and help us helping an agency grow, mm -hmm. you know, that's been a significant portion of our growth. Um, I think they're both important, so I don't think you can neglect one and focus on the other. But I think I like uh, I like agent referrals, but I don't think it's really the agent's job <laughs> or our <laughs> our place to ask <laughs> the agent to do our job for us so much. But you know, you get and then of course you get referrals on different social media platforms and stuff like that, or just testimonials and things like that. I think are very helpful. Do you have anything to add on that, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I think from a, I agree with Craig. It, 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 we get we get I think we get referrals from carriers as well so you know I know one of the one of the relationships early on that Cal and I went and met it was based off of them wanting to get contracted through one of our carriers and the carrier recommended to speak with us so um, you know I think one of the things that we've really had a, we've been very fortunate is you know Craig and Ritter's reputation over the years has been very strong so that in itself a lot of times you know I just have to believe that if something comes out and Craig Ritter's going to be talking about our State of the Union or mm -hmm. Craig has a, a blog post that, you know, we're probably getting more people to open it, look at it, pass it around than maybe other FMOs just because of the integrity of the company. So from my standpoint, that has made it, I don't want to say easy, but mm -hmm. it, it certainly has helped with the recruiting efforts is to be able to not have to spend 10 minutes with a new agent explaining what they heard was wrong. Right. For the most part, we get right into it. They usually, an, an agent will say, hey, I've heard nothing but good about your company. Mm -hmm. And we start talking business versus me trying to sell somebody on Ritter. It's also given us an, an opportunity. And I think this might be something that's different between where we are and maybe a new agency coming in is a new agency coming in probably is going to, you know, they have to find something to, to kind of promote and recruit. You know, to Craig's point, it, we might not have the best product or a new carrier in an area in the market, mm -hmm. but we can still promote Ritter at all times. So right. at all times, we can promote our technology, we can promote our customer service, um, and we can, to some degree, just promote the fact that Craig stays on top of all of the goings-on within Medicare, mm -hmm. which I think um, a few years ago was probably one of our biggest recruitment tools that Craig was very engaged with more of the technical um, rules of Medicare versus, mm -hmm. hey, let's just go recruit. And I think caught a lot of agents' eyes on that. I know there was one post that, you know, we were, we were higher on the Google search than the actual company was. <laughs> and that just didn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense, you know, in my mind. But it did because a lot of people saw that Craig was talking about something. And based on that, they went and Look, so I think that's been very helpful for us over the years. Absolutely. And I can definitely uh, attest to the fact that things that Craig is attached to, definitely um, they, they tend to get more more views, more downloads, more eyeballs, and obviously the, uh, the search result that you had seen. In a world where acquisitions and mergers are announced daily, 
Where do you see Ritter Insurance marketing in five to ten years? Well, I guess I'll take this. I'll take this one. I think um, if you're if you're talking about the FMO space, there have been a lot of mergers and acquisitions. I think it's happened in a lot of, and it's happened in the carrier space too. I mean, you can look at Cigna, and uh, you can look at uh, CVS as doing doing acquisitions, and I think that's going to continue. I think there's been an evolution in the FMO business over the last say five years or maybe five to ten years where there was a tremendous amount of value being a local agency and being able to operate in a state or maybe in multiple states or even a part of a state where you could do a lot of face-to-face trainings you could do um, agents could come by your office and pick up supplies they could drop off their applications they could use your photocopier they could use your fax machine you know things like that mm-hmm. where there was a value for the agent to be affiliated with a with an agency that was close by so so I think that was kind of the the start of the development of the Medicare FMO channel and a lot of that I think a lot of those advantages have kind of drifted away and now there's different things that agents are looking for from from their Medicare FMOs that aren't really as geographically uh, relevant so I remember I think early on I would hear a lot I'd, t- I'd be talking to an agent in I don't know Wisconsin or Ohio or <laughs> Missouri or whatever and it's well I like you know I like what we're working with my local FMO I can you know they have they do meetings and da 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 and and that was kind of hard to overcome but I don't really hear that as much anymore I mean I'm sure it, I'm sure that's that's a factor for some agents but it's probably not not as big of a factor so I think what you've had is you've had a lot of FMOs that developed on one set of circumstances and now that whole situation has changed so there's a lot of duplication in terms of what FMOs are like all doing a lot of the same things. Mm-hmm. So I think whenever you have a situation like that in any industry, I think the market's going to correct it. So I think that's why you're seeing So I, I think it does make sense that, that there should be some consolidation in the, in the FMO space. I understand why it's happening. I mean, I think that's one of the key things is to kind of understand like what are the what are the dynamics that are making this happen why is this and does it make sense or does it not make sense and and then to be able to adjust so i think in in five to ten years ritter is going to look completely different than it looks today i'm not i'm not 100 percent sure i have the <laughs> the full <laughs> i know it's going to be different so <laughs> i understand that I think there's there could be a lot more integration from the insurance company to the FMO to the agency to their field agent. I think there's a lot of opportunities for the FMO to be able to streamline a number of processes and not just enrollment. I think there's been a lot of focus recently on enrollment and I think we've done a fantastic job in, in some of the technology that we've developed on that front, but I think it's a lot more than than just that. So, mm-hmm. marketing, I think, is something that's agents a- agencies need help with to a great extent. You know how to build a marketing platform, how to be able to leverage what those and depending on what type of agency you have, call center would be different than like what I call field agents. You know, agents that work in the community and develop relationships in their community. So, so I think there's going to be a lot more integration of that whole process 
that the FMO should be at the center of and should be kind of facilitating those those changes. So, so I can say for sure that's going to be one thing. I mean, that's what I'm really focused on. Mm-hmm. I think over the next five years, and I think there's going to be an expectation um, on the carrier side of us doing more and more and more. Like I think, and rightly so. I think the bar is going to keep getting raised and that's going to be be around probably compliance and it's going to be around sales. So I think the sales bar goes up. I think the compliance bar goes up. I think carriers are probably going to be a little bit more, I don't know if I would say choosy, but but probably have a higher standard for, you know, for a top line distributor. That makes sense. What additional benefits would an agency have working with Ritter rather than going to another FMO or even working directly with the carriers? Well, I think um, we built our our platform to be pretty easy for a large agency to be able to get all the benefits of everything that we've built without having to to spend the money on it. So kind of goes back to my point I was talking about, like how there's a lot of duplication industry-wide and and you're kind of like, if you think horizontally, but then if you think vertically for that agency, for a large agency to be able to focus on the activities that make the most sense for them <laughs> and probably you know building a, a marketing platform may not you know or building an enrollment platform or building a agency CRM platform or building a commission paying platform may not be the best use of their time mm-hmm. I think um, yeah relative to I think relative to other FMOs I think the amount of integration that we have is pretty is pretty astounding yeah I think from the agency side Craig hit it on perfectly, which is we can provide the tools for them to be able to go out and recruit more agents and train their current agents and, and, and get more apps that way versus, you know, if they're going to spend, you know, I'm not Mr. Technology, but, you know, I, I've always, I've, I'm, I'm usually the one in the meeting that says, well, why can't we just buy that? But even when you buy a program, there's mm-hmm. still someone who has to manage that program and, you know, like it doesn't just magically all happen. So, um, when you start looking at the costs of even buying a program, managing a program. And I do think that that's probably where some of this integration most certainly has come from. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't necessarily want to take credit and say Ritter pushed agencies into it, but when you have technology and the cost of technology out there, um, if you're a smaller agency and your agents are saying, why don't we have online enrollment and things like that, I guess your option is either to figure out how to provide that to your agents or get connected with a, an FMO that provides that to their agencies and their downline agents. So I think that's really one of those areas where we, um, we, we really can excel. As far as the one thing I always like, I do talk a lot about technology, even though the sales and marketing guy, but you know, I think for, our, for us as well, we have a lot of staff. I mean, we have 80, I think it's 89 employees in our sales and marketing team. So we're certainly here to be able to answer questions, help, direct um, as well. So even though a lot of our conversations are usually helping our agents get through our platform, Mm -hmm. um, it's not a difficult platform to go through, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. So, um, but yeah, I think that that's why agents would be better coming to us. Okay. So... I've made the decision to have an agency. I have downline agents. So when I'm providing support for them, where should the majority of my time be spent? I would I would probably start out with marketing, right? I'd start out with a marketing plan. 
And I would probably, I think one thing that is would be a mistake for an agency would be to, there's a little bit of a chicken or the egg mm-hmm. thing where it's, you want to have leads and prospects and, and, you know, marketing developed for the agents. Obviously you need the agents to be able to fulfill that, but to over expand and have, if you have enough for say five agents, but you hire 10, that can be a that can be problematic, and that and that could really change the change the dynamics and the and the um, excitement of your eight or whatever your, the morale. That's the word I was looking for. So the like the morale of your agents could change mm-hmm. pretty rapidly if you know you could you could provide great resources for five agents, but then you hire ten, and I mean that just that alone can be a, a big mistake. So I think focusing initially on marketing. And being able to generate those opportunities for your agents to be able to sit down and talk with people. And there's all kinds of flavors of that, but I don't know if we're going to, that's probably not what we're getting into on this uh, podcast, but, but that would be number one. And then I think number two would be being able to spend your time with your, with your agents and make them help make them better agents. And I think most agency owners, a lot have started out as highly successful agents and it's challenging, I think, in the early stages because you're probably such a great salesperson that you could, you know, do this. It's kind of like, uh, you know, being able to delegate as a manager, right? To be able to transfer that knowledge to your to your agents. And I think also, I think one thing that maybe a lot of agencies make a mistake about is, you know, focus on what Dave says, what differentiates you from, say, a call center. Or, or, you know, maybe you have a call center and that's a different model. But, you know, if I'm if I have field agents, I don't want to focus on doing things that would be like the sweet spot of a call center. Right. Mm-hmm. I would want to focus on things that call centers can't do and really being very, very diligent about thinking about that and being able to train my agents on that. So, you know, call centers probably don't do referrals very well, right? Call centers probably, I mean, some some do, uh, you know, cross-selling. Uh, call centers aren't good at developing centers of influence. You know, you sit down, you talk, you're talking with a Medicare beneficiary. Oh, where'd you go to school? Where'd you go, you know, where, where, where did you work? Where did you retire from? You know, who's your, what church do you go? I mean, there's all these opportunities and questions that are very natural and probably help build um, the rapport in the, in the conversation, but also can be awesome sources for a referral. So it could be the church they go to. It could be some civic activity they're involved in. It could be that they're turning 65 and they're, you know, the graduating class and they just had their reunion and, you know, they know 30 other people that are turning 65. Now, call centers can't do that, right? So if you're, if you're operating on the field side, but you, you need to train your agents to look for those things, I think that's probably, probably where I would spend the most time. And I think that's where I think Ritter can come in and help a large agency is I think it's easy as an agency owner to just to be overwhelmed by the management and the it's kind of the paper I call it the paperwork. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think the where I think things are working at the highest level is where I think an agency would trust us to handle a lot of the admin stuff. So some of the back end systems and the processing and licensing and all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. To, and then they can focus on developing their marketing plan and developing their agents in a way that makes them most successful. Okay. 
out of all the marketing efforts that Ritter utilizes, what do you find to work the best for recruiting new agents? Phone calls. Phone calls? If I can talk to you, if I can get you on the phone, I mean, that by far is, is I mean, you get the answer. By the end of the phone call, mm-hmm. you, you, you know whether that you had a success or not. Now, with that said, I'm a believer, and uh, Lisa always tells me that, you know, we hit we hit agents four or five different ways. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe my phone call doesn't get answered if they hadn't seen a piece of mail or if they haven't seen a podcast or some other way. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, from a strict recruiting standpoint, mm-hmm. reach out to the agent or agency on the phone. If, mm-hmm. you, know, if you want to take the approach of uh, scheduling the time to talk to them. I always mm-hmm. like that approach versus just assuming that they're, you know, never call up and say, hey, I got a deal for you. Say, hey, is, do you have a 10 or 15 minutes that we can talk about about our, our companies? But, um, you know, I know that emails occur a lot. So I assume email emailing back and forth works mm-hmm. too. But still, even if I get an email from someone, I'm going to try to get them on the phone and talk to them because that's when you really get an understanding of what they can understand what we're trying to provide and what we're willing to provide Mm -hmm. and we'll get an understanding of what their needs are as well. Exactly, yeah. But I think overall from a recruitment standpoint, and once again, if Lisa were here, she'd probably say it's a a combination of all the different touches that we do that Mm -hmm. actually helps us recruit. But on a, just just to give you an idea, on a weekly basis, our call center makes about 9,000 outbound phone calls to agents across the country. And it gets us somewhere about a one and a half to two percent return, which you know, back in the day, if you could get a two percent return on direct mail, especially for agent recruiting, that would be pretty good. Because yeah. I think we were usually looking around half a percent as being successful. So, but once again, I do think that all the different they help. If, if the only time that anyone's ever heard of us is whenever I make a phone call to you, then. Like we are a big agency, we are a big FMO, so we certainly have a lot of other, there's many other communications out there that agents have heard, but I still stick to the phone call. Do you have anything that you would like to add to that, Craig? No, I think it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's, you, you don't necessarily want to focus on one thing. I think, you know, knowing where you're, knowing what's, uh, uh, basically just kind of restating what Dave said that <laughs> I think it's all important so you know being a thought leader you know having articles out there having blog posts social media all that stuff is important I think we're a little different than maybe an agency because they may be recruiting agents in different ways right they may be um, recruiting at job fairs and they may, may be recruiting at colleges and they may be recruiting uh, through um job boards and stuff like that where that's really not our focus so i mean that could be a good that could be a, a good uh, combination that the agencies are you know developing new talent and looking for individuals that have the right skills to be successful in the in the business and you know we're probably more looking for agents that are already established so it's not really not our model i think to take somebody from fresh out of college and and uh, that's more of a retail I think more of a retail function and, and we operate more on the wholesale basis so so we're not competing with an agency in any way in that in that regard right uh, so the senior population is rapidly increasing we like to use that uh, statistic that I will not mention again because we use it all the time 
but there are a number of agencies that are adding Medicare to their product offerings. Um, what is the timeline that you believe they should start to see some profit in? Say I jump into AEP this year, I start selling for 2020. When can I start to see some profit, assuming that I'm successful in my efforts? Well, if you're already an established agency, I'd say mm -hmm. you're gonna you're gonna be profitable after the first AEP because mm -hmm. you know you're already paying for. I think this is just a product that you'd be selling in conjunction with your current mm -hmm. your current portfolio. So, um, profitability, I would say, would be pretty pretty immediate. Um, I guess that's one good thing about when you're selling products from the government. They all you know so far their checks have always cashed. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think. Um, from an agency standpoint, there's some expenses early on, but really those expenses are gonna, with a successful AEP, I think that you'd overcome and actually have profit year one, especially the way, um, you know, it depends exactly when you start, but if you, if, if, if you start into the senior market, Medicare market right now, for this coming AEP, you know, you've cut half of a year of expenses already, and True. the hot selling season is, October through December and mm -hmm. uh, or to December 7th and um, you can write a lot of business within that time. I think one thing with our business with the Medicare market is the seniors and the beneficiaries really have kind of latched on to the time that they look at their insurance each year mm -hmm. is October, usually October 1st to December. Um, even even if they're not on the Medicare Advantage. I mean, I, I always had clients that would say, okay, well, I'll see you in October, or I'll talk to you in October. So mm -hmm. um, I think you could be very successful after that first AEP. Yeah, I think, I mean, profitability is uh, kind of like we talked about with uh, how, you, you know, what's your most effective marketing method. If you look at one thing, mm -hmm. it's, you're probably, you're probably, uh, you got blinders on. So I think profitability, yeah, it's, uh, it's important, but, I would say that probably growth and profitability are inversely proportional. So there's a lot of factors that you know you have to tease out to say, are we not as profitable because we're investing a lot in our agency and in growing our agency? Well, then that's good. You know that could be a good thing. So maybe you don't necessarily want to be as profitable as you could be for the future. Unlike a lot of other industries. We look at uh, we look at how we book, and I'm getting maybe get a little technical, but you know I think it's probably the right forum here. You know we book revenue on a on a cash basis. So mm -hmm. you go out and you sell a policyholder, uh, say Medicare Advantage, and you might get you know a five hundred dollar. Let's just use five hundred. So you get a five hundred dollar initial commission, and that's your revenue for the year. But in reality, that individual could be on the books for you know, 10 years, let's say, you know, 10 more years. And if you're getting $250 a year for 10 years, just by, by servicing that client, which is, you know, relatively, you know, can be, can be challenging, kind of depends on the situation. But, you know, I think um, if you're, if you stay on top of it, you should be able to maintain that client for, for a long period of time. So 10 times $250, that's 2,500. So it's five times as much revenue in the, after year one. I think if you're if you're thinking about oh I, I need to be profitable in year one I think you're probably I mean except for Dave's point where you know there there could be ways that you that you can just do it as a an additional product line to an existing agency where you really wouldn't have any additional overhead and it would basically be marginal revenue to you but to be able to think about the 
more like the lifetime value of what a sale is worth versus what you're getting in year one and calling that profitability. So, yeah, I think you have to think, you know, I don't think profit, especially when you're thinking first year, is the right way to think about it. And then, yeah, I think profit and growth are inversely proportional. So the more you're growing, the less profitable you're going to be. And that's not always a bad thing. (laughs) Um, Most other FMOs out there will offer annual trips for their top selling agents and agencies in addition to yearly production bonuses. Why should I pass on those added benefits and choose Ritter? Well, is that true? Because I'm not sure that they are. Maybe on the trips, but the production bonuses, I'm not sure. I know too many FMOs that are offering production bonuses. Um, I think we we spend a lot on marketing, right? So it kind of depends if you want to call it that. But I think, you know, we do a lot of marketing co-op. We'll probably spend more on marketing co-op than a large trip. You know, so yeah. I mean, we had talked about it when we first, um, when Ritter first kind of formed. About um, we had come from a, an agency that did have an annual trip, and one of the things I always remembered about the annual trips is that it was always about the same six people that qualified for the trip. Mm. So, one of the things Craig and I talked about was trying to put together programs that could reach the full spectrum of our agents, and not just, not just you know, hey, here's the big reward, but it's only going to be for a small, a small um, percentage of our agents. So, um, Craig is right. Last year, I think we did about half a million dollars of co-op to our agents during the AEP and throughout the year. We also offer a $100,000 giveaway for Medicare supplement production. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things is you're not allowed to tie bonuses and trips to Medicare Advantage or PDP. Right. So um, that's why there isn't a, at least there shouldn't be any of those programs out there, but certainly not, not by us. So, um, and so that's another hundred thousand dollars, and you know we're rewarding the top fifty agents each quarter. So I think one of the things that we we decided, or at least our approach, was going to be to try to spread it out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, I like to go on trips, so I understand that there is a desire to go on a trip. But I think Craig and I had talked before too, and and came to the conclusion that if I can help you make more sales, or if you can earn money by selling Medicare supplement, mm-hmm. um, maybe you can pick your own trip. Right. You know, so. What yeah. you're offering is kind of offering them the ability to invest more in their business over the long term if they are able to write more business because of how you're helping them with those co-op marketing dollars. Right. So in the long run, is that more important to you or is a vacation that doesn't really necessarily, it's fun, but does it benefit your business? Yeah, and I think another part of it too is, um, you know, originally I think the FMO trips came about because you had agents that were were writing multiple carriers. So they may not have, you know, pre-MA, they may not have qualified for a carrier trip because Mm -hmm. they spread out their business and they didn't just focus on one carrier. So I think some FMOs said, hey, we want to reward those that write all of their business through us, so mm-hmm. collectively. But, um, you know, we still have agents that do qualify for those trips. We're not like anti-trip, um, but as far as for us, we'd rather put money in your pocket and let you mm-hmm. let you uh, decide. And I do think that we, I've certainly seen where we have a lot of younger agents in the business, and I say younger is a 48-year-old, so that could mean you're in your 30s. But, um, you know, going away for four or five days without the kids sometimes is tough. So we're even giving you, you know, if we can get money out to you, you can take a, make it a family trip. So 
Uh, the other thing we do, uh, we do, it's not, I wouldn't call it a trip, but we do have agent events for our agency. So we do bring them together. Because I think the face-to-face is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do we do it more in, a, I think, a, it's a little bit more business-like, right? It's not, I mean, we do fun stuff, but um, but the, the point is really to help the agency owner grow their business. So like Dave, I mean, I, lo- I like trips. I think it's good. We've chosen to invest more in co-op and invest more in, I think, kind of working um, meetings on a face-to-face basis to stay connected with our agencies. And I don't know that we're a really great travel agency. Maybe we're a great FMO, but, you know, if you want a great trip, maybe you should talk to a travel agency instead of us. <laughs> so we do a lot here as far as um, trying to stay up with the latest technology. Um, obviously, we have our Medicare Quote Engine. Um, we have Medicareful. We have a couple different um, products that we have basically created in-house here. With keeping up with those trends, how do you spot those trends? How do you know kind of what to invest in? Um, how do you find your niche? Um, I think uh, reading a lot and just kind of keeping up with the goings-on. I, you know, one thing I think maybe would be a common theme is in a lot of cases, you don't want to necessarily just look at the insurance industry um, and try to duplicate what everybody else is doing but looking at looking at other industries so you don't necessarily have to create something uh, out of nothing you know you can you can look at kind of how things work in other industries and maybe apply that to, to our industry so I think the combination of just I do. I do read a lot, so <laughs> you know, understanding kind of like what the what the trends are. I listen to podcasts and I watch some YouTube videos, and I do a lot of reading. So I think those are kind of the keys to be able to understand, you know, and then understanding like what makes sense, what what can you apply, what makes sense to apply to our business versus, you know, what might work in another industry. So mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Um, so for like say online online enrollment. Um, or say direct online enrollment, um, if you were Jeff Bezos and you wanted to sell books online, that was a great idea at the time, right? So obviously Amazon's become one of the biggest companies in the in the world. But if you did the same thing that Jeff did, but you tried to sell Medicare Advantage, you probably wouldn't, you probably would have failed. <laughs> so it's not always, you know, sometimes it's a matter of timing. So there's multiple dimensions. So it has to be kind of the right idea at the right time in the right industry. And trying to find the intersection of those three is is challenging. Um, I think one thing that I keep in mind or try to keep in mind is that sometimes it takes time. You know, sometimes you have a great idea and you think everybody should think this is the, you know, as good as I think it is, but it takes time to, to develop. So I think you have to have patience and and see. Obviously, you want to see growth and you want to see it, you know, building. And you don't, you know, if it's if it's going downhill and people are less interested in whatever new technology you have, that's you know, that's probably not a good sign. But it doesn't. Oh, it, it's there's not a lot of overnight successes. So you have to be persistent and you have to be patient with that. So that's I think primarily like my philosophy on you know how we apply technology and and I think it's always. It's always changing. It's always moving forward. So that's, I think, another another issue is that um, there's no there's no you don't arrive at a destination when it 
you know, you're constantly, it's like a little bit more like a treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're a runner, right, it's more like running on a treadmill than, you know, running, uh, you know, around, uh, uh, around your neighborhood. <laughs> you never get, you never get anywhere. As you grow your agency, it's likely that you're going to have those growing pains. Um, like you said, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to have an immediate overnight success or, you know, find out exactly what works right away. Um, how have you handled these situations in the past when you've had growing pains to grow more effectively as a company but not disturb the day-to-day -day with clients or agents? That's very difficult very difficult because I think I tend to think when you're starting an agency and you're a smaller agency you're, you're handling you handle people differently than whenever you're larger mm -hmm. you know when, when you get bigger you use more technology um, you know I, I that's why I still think that the best way to recruit an agent is through the phone um, some will call that a little bit old school because we got all these email blasts and like you said social media and so forth so I think the, the hardest, the biggest struggle for us, at least in the marketing and sales side, has been to be able to provide the same level of service to agents from pre-moving uh, out of our first building till now. Um, so I think we had a little, we definitely had some growing pains on that front. And, and then for us, it took a lot more staffing and training. So I think that if I'm a smaller agency, I probably, I think a business plan is probably very important so that you don't outgrow what you can manage yourself. And then once again, I think some, you know, we can help with some of the, some of the work that you have to do. You can, you can kind of let Ritter handle some of those things, whether it be in paying commissions or mm -hmm. um, assisting with information so that you can focus on growth. But yeah, I think the hardest part for us was certainly when we would have uh, those agents that, you know, I always I always talk about me and April, we were in the basement of when, we, when I just had hired her. And, you know, we would tell an agent, whatever you ever need, ever, call me, call me on my cell phone, um, I'll help you. And then that obviously you can't, you can't maintain that level when you get up to, you know, 10 times more agents. Right. So I think that, um, also setting the proper expectations to your agents as well. But that was probably our biggest struggle is we still have agents that, you know, hey, they're still on the call me anytime, which we like to hear from them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, when you have 10,000 agents, it gets, you can't have the personal conversations as often. So I think you, you have, you have to hire good employees and yeah, you have to be able to let go of some, some things that, so your role changes over time. So mm -hmm. you have to be able to, to kind of embrace that and focus on, you know, what's the what's the best way that you can deliver that same quality without it necessarily having to come from Dave's cell phone. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, I would I would agree with Dave that it's probably one of the biggest challenges that we faced. And I think you know you have to acknowledge that you're not going to be perfect. You know, that's not realistic. And and I don't think most of your customers or your employees will have that expectation of you but i think they will have or they should have an expectation that you care about the situation that you recognize if there's an issue i mean clearly you know growing pain means that there's some something's broken in the system um, that you care about the issue and that you're working to improve right so 
you know, I think would be nice to be able to grow an agency and never have any growing pains, but that's just completely unrealistic. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I think you, it's, it's more of a process than, than that and, you know, how you address those things and how people are going to recognize that, I think. So, I mean, I think if your, your heart's in the right place and you see issues and you're, and you're trying to, to come up with solutions, I think that's, that's what people expect. They don't necessarily expect you to be perfect. You're going to have different issues with different, regardless of what you do. I mean, different FMOs are good at different things. So there's going to be some things you like and some things you don't like. So, so it's kind of some of it's a, a matter of preference. But you know, just understanding that um, that the agency that you're working with is is committed to to being able to deliver on the promises that they make you. So you kind of covered this a little bit um, with answering that question. But what is one key takeaway that you would want agencies and agents to remember as they're building their agency? Would you say that it's that, you know, that you're you're going to make mistakes over time? What would what would you tell them? Um, I would say patience is probably the number one thing I would if I had to give them <laughs> one takeaway that, you know, I think there's you know, a lot of good things we talked about in this podcast. But I think that's the one that I struggle with the most is, mm-hmm. is being patient. And, you know, that doesn't mean that you're. It doesn't mean that you're lazy. I think it just means that you you understand that sometimes things take time to to develop and and being able to evaluate is this going in the right direction. You know, sometimes I also think philosophy on that that sometimes direction is more important than location. <laughs> like where you're going is maybe more important than where you're at. So so just being patient in in understanding that you know where you are today, as long as you're moving progressively to a better better place that you know that's you know that's I think reasonable to, to for your agency and our industry is so there's so much value in in the in things that happen in the future relative to activities that you do today so we talked before about you know the $2,500 of renewal relative to the $500 for the first year sale on, a, on an MA product so it takes patience <laughs> to yeah. wait. You know, you got. There's no other way to get it than to service the customer for ten years and mm-hmm. and get and collect that and collect that money. It's not going to come up front. Um, and of course, referrals and um, centers of influence and in developing those marketing systems. You know, there's a lot of upfront work to make mm-hmm. that to make those things happen, and then the benefits of those accrue to you over over time. So, I think that's uh, that's probably would be the number one takeaway that I would I would suggest as an agency why is it beneficial to work with an FMO you mentioned the co-op marketing dollars we've mentioned some of the technology um, but why at the end of the day should we, should we well I think the other FMO? option would be they could work directly with the carrier which means mm-hmm. everything that an FMO provides they would not be they would not get so mm-hmm. um, I mean I think just the the obvious um, there, there's a lot of work that FMOs do 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 in the back in the background that mm-hmm. if, if you're not working with an FMO you would you would have to be doing yourself. Um, just um, Craig mentioned earlier compliance. Just from a compliance standpoint, mm-hmm. um, I know everybody wants to be compliant, but we put a lot of effort into maintaining compliance. And um, Van, our compliance officer, is um, always talking about talk about someone who reads as well as much as Craig probably. They're reading everything that comes in and interpreting it and, and following mm-hmm. up on it. So I just think that 
to have someone support you to grow your agency. That's really where I think an FMO comes in versus a carrier. I don't know that a carrier necessarily is going to help you grow your agency from the fundamentals. It might offer you co-op, it might offer you leads or, mm-hmm. or something like that. But overall, um, I, I don't think that they're going to de- help you develop processes to make work easier and more profitable in the long run. So mm-hmm. I think just the services that we provide both on the technology side as well as on the service side, whether it's contracting. You know, we had an agency <coughs> once that, um, you know, they, were, they did a pretty good job with a carrier and the carrier offered them an FMO contract, offered them the same contract as we had. So we had, you know, we released them and, and they were an FMO with that carrier. And a year later they came back and said, you know what, we want to go back under you guys because you guys, you know, instead of me handling the commission questions and me handling the contracting and, and all of that, I'd rather be out there train my agents to sell more business. Mm-hmm. So I, I really do think that, you know, that's, that's probably the number one reason is that, mm-hmm. you know, it just allows you to spend more time on developing your agency versus doing some of the, some of the business work that has to be done. Craig? Yeah. I mean, I think you make, you need to make a decision of, of, uh, you know, what you want to focus on. And I think there's a lot of, I mentioned before, there's a lot of duplication of effort in, in our industry. So I think figuring out if you want, if you're aspiring to be an FMO, I think that's, I think that's great, but you're going to have to focus on, on different things. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so whenever you're focused on different things, then you're going to neglect. So it's kind of like the opportunity cost of, of, of what you're focused on. So a lot of the things that we've been able to do, you really wouldn't be able to do, um, and it wouldn't be practical to do, it wouldn't be cost effective to do, and it would be very difficult to do because you have to get, be able to get the attention. So for example, like enrollment, like if you want to develop an enrollment platform, not only do you need the technology, but you also need the relationship with the carrier too. So even if you had the technological a capability and you had the money to spend and you had the time to devote and focus on that as something that you wanted to to develop you also have to have the relationship with the carrier too mm-hmm. so yeah. so it's it's virtually impossible i think uh well yeah well i'd say it's pretty it would be pretty tough let's just leave it at that i wouldn't go impossible but because we were able to do it but i mean that was based on having relationships with over 20 um health plans at the at the highest level so so yeah many yeah many going back you know decade decade or more well i think also roi is part of that as well you know when when you have those relationships with those carriers but you know they're also looking back at you and saying well what's our return on the investment you know and if you're talking to a smaller agency then they you know the larger carriers may not see that hey you know coming into your platform is really a good a good investment on our side. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I think that um, to Craig's point, relationships definitely is what helped us get to the starting point with that. But I think mm-hmm. also on the other uh, other hand, uh, the carriers were also able to see that by providing the platform for us, it would increase, increase their production as well. Mm-hmm. 
We touched on this a little bit as well. Um, healthcare is an ever-changing industry, of course. Um, what steps do you take to make sure you're prepared for the next innovations in the industry? I know you said you read a lot. Um, you're always um, up to date on what's going on news-wise in the in the industry. Any other things that you do to? Yeah, I think you know, I think listening and, and networking. Um, certainly, I was I was just going to say reading, but <laughs> I think it's a combination of those things. I think that's where. Um, you know, different forums and so and so forth can be helpful because you get to meet people, talk to people, bounce ideas off them. But I mm-hmm. think that's that's primarily my source for being able to try to stay on top of, of what's changing. And I'm watching a lot of things right now. I'm not maybe 100% convinced on certain things, mm-hmm. but but they're certainly on my radar and I'm, I'm very interested in watching and see if, you know, how successful they are. And I think a lot, too, a lot in... The industry, or in it, I mean, not just insurance, but in like any industry, is being able to come up with an idea and be able to test it and see if it if it something that works, and then to be able to to apply it something that you can expand as well. Right. Yeah, I think on the sales side of, of marketing department, um, our agents are never they're they're never shy about telling us things that they either wish we had or heard about. Mm-hmm. sending us articles so I think that you know um, we certainly we certainly get to talk to a lot of different people who certainly give us many suggestions and keep us up to date as well mm-hmm. so. so we talked about the uh, next innovations in the industry um, what are the biggest challenges you faced early as a startup and how did you overcome these challenges well I think my situation was kind of unique and maybe something that we haven't really talked about as like another alternative way of starting an agency, but I actually bought into my dad's agency and I bought out his business partners. So we had a, an established agency. Uh, well, we had developed some uh, Medicare business and we had, I think, about six or seven employees at the time. So we'd grown it to a, to a certain point. And then we left the agency that we were a part of to kind of go out on our own and basically focus. So a good analogy would be if you were changing the oil in your car while your car is driving, right? So you have to, you you know, or changing the wheels, <laughs> changing the tires while you're driving kind of thing. So we, that I think was the biggest challenge for me was being able to balance developing all new, an all new platform, which I think had its advantages because you could basically start from scratch and you know a lot of times you get locked into a certain framework and you're like I wish we could do something different but it's a lot of times it's hard to change so I think that had its advantages as well that we were able to be thoughtful about looking at everything out there and how would you build it now if if I'd only known then what I know now kind of thing so and that kind of gives you an opportunity to, to reboot but so that was that was the biggest challenge for me I think what you know one thing we haven't really talked about we talked a lot about you know maybe starting an agency from scratch and and how that works but I think another way to go is to look at you know either buying an agency an existing agency there's a lot of agents that are out there that are maybe in their ready to retire their Medicare age or they're not as active as they they once were um, you know one of the great things about the businesses I think once you get to a certain point it becomes very profitable and you don't necessarily have to work as hard, and the, and the business is still still profitable. So, you could you could do a, you could buy an agency, 
Or maybe you just work for an agency, right? So you, you know, you find an agency and you, you, uh, the owner, you have a good relationship with the owner and kind of establish a relationship where you're going to take over that at some point in time. So, um, so you don't necessarily have to start from ground zero. There's other ways that you can get started. And that's how I got started. Um, initially it was just my dad and then it was me and my dad. So, but you know, I started, started with a little bit of a base, which is very helpful versus starting from scratch. Um, it could be that you start like, like my dad did with an existing agency and just add Medicare as a business line to that agency and become a partner. He was a partner with that agency and they shared in the, in the returns, but he had the advantage of having that structure, that infrastructure to be able to work off of. So, so you could buy an agency, you could, you know, work for a Medicare agency and maybe move into ownership, or you could start an agency within a larger agency. Maybe it's a property and casualty, maybe it's a group, maybe it's a life and annuity, you know, could be, could be any number of different agencies where maybe you, you started out as a partnership. So those are all different alternative ways to go. Say, I think you might have jumped ahead a little bit there, but that's fine. Um, I'll still put this out here because it's it's fun, and I would like uh, Dave. I, I would like Dave's answer on this as well. Um, so, if you had to go back and do it again, what would you rather buy an existing book of business, like you just said, or start from scratch? Well, I got lucky because when I started from scratch, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of disruption in the state of Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. so I, I wouldn't have changed it. I, I would have, I mean, I don't think I would have passed on buying a, a book of business, but at the time I don't know I had the money to buy a book of business. There is something nice about and, and different about growing a business organically. I am very relationship driven, so you know, one of the things I always tell people is if I had to drive an hour to your house, I gotta spend at least an hour there talking to you about something because I don't want to get back in the car. So for me, um, the, the pluses, and I actually had bought a book of business too, so the pluses of, of starting it on my own is um, great referral source. So as Craig sp- said earlier about referrals, I mean, I really do think that um, you know, I, I had one guy in one town who was a manager of the big plant in that town, and I think everyone that ever retired from the paper mill is, was on my book of business because mm-hmm. he was the go-to guy. So I really enjoyed starting it that way. Um, And and there are some challenges when you buy a book of business, especially uh, depending on the personality of the person. So I bought a person's book of business who was very, she she handheld, they had a question, she'd go to their house. So uh, it was 45 minutes away, her house was 45 minutes away from my house, which meant every time one of her clients needed to see, see me, which was every time they had a question, it was a 45-minute drive. So there are some things you have to overcome on, on, on the buying of the book. But me personally, I really enjoyed going out and starting from scratch. So, But I th- certainly think there's value um, in buying a book or joining with an agency. So, Getting back to starting, starting my own agency, um, what are the costs associated with that? I know we talked a little bit about what it meant to um, start an LLC versus just going um, the individual agent route. But if I do want to start my own agency, um, is there a cost that I can expect to pay, just kind of like a ballpark figure of what you would maybe look to, to pay setting one up? It's really the the costs are pretty low. I think your your fixed costs are pretty low. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you're going to have some legal costs. You might have some costs from an accounting perspective and get kind of getting systems and stuff like that in place and getting contracted and getting licensed and, and, and recruiting. But your probably your primary cost, your largest cost is probably going to be in marketing initially to get um, the flow for the, for the agents that you're supporting. So that's probably your biggest, kind of your biggest cost. But I think a lot of, what a lot of agencies may not factor in is really maybe even bigger than your marketing is your opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where you have, where you're a, a great agent and you could go out and sell and, and develop your own referrals. Now you're not doing that. You're taking that time away from your own personal sales and you're putting it into, into other agents. So I would probably think pretty hard about the opportunity cost of like, what am I giving up? You know, so it may not be, you know, dollars out of your pocket per se, like with legal, you know, legal fees and stuff like that, which I think are pretty, pretty modest. You could probably start an LLC for a thousand dollars and, you know, do the filings with the state and get to license and, and all that. And probably, you know, for a couple thousand dollars, you know, all in, you could, you get all that set up, but then think about what could I be doing with my time <laughs> that I'm not right. doing now and, and just be thoughtful about it. Say that, yeah, I think this is going to be, and obviously I mentioned patient, right? That, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be, it's not going to be as successful early on because it, it's easier for you to sell a plan than it is to teach someone else to do it. So, but the benefit is I think in the long term, you know, could be, could be well worth the time, well worth the investment if that's if that's what you want to do. do yeah, I don't have to anything that? to add on that. I think I think you know to Craig's point, I, I agree that um, maybe start a little smaller. I don't know that it's necessarily that um, you have to on day one have a face of a building, have a, have an office space, and have a you know have a full staff um, to go. I think. Uh, Many businesses start out of their their home, and like Craig said, be a little more be thoughtful about it, and you know, slow mm-hmm. growth and patience, and you know, eventually, um, if all goes well, you'll you'll grow into space, and and you know, like Craig had mentioned, we we were at six or seven employees, and now we're at roughly two hundred, but it has been about 15 years so yeah. you know so it's taken a while it hasn't just happened overnight even though there does come a point where it does seem rapid growth but mm-hmm. early on we went from six to eight to ten it wasn't we went from six to 50 overnight so I think that yeah um, you know opportunities and, and I still fall back to one of the early statements we said if you're working hard you'll find uh, you'll, you'll find ways to kind of cut some of the costs, you know, with opportunities. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember when I first started, I talked to an agent and his line to me was, what's the greatest thing about this business? And this probably isn't for an agency, but more for an agent. He said, the greatest thing about this business is all you need is $300 and a license. So once you get licensed, if you have $300, you go, you do a direct mailer, you get your returns, you sell the policies, you get your money from the policies, and now you buy two direct mailers. And he's like, mm-hmm. in a year, you're going to have a thriving business because really what sets this aside, which what Craig mentioned, is you know it's a renewal-based business. If I can write 100 mm-hmm. clients every year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be making a good income after three or four years. And um, you know, the question then usually comes, when am I going to slow down? And we've got a number of agents that they don't ever seem to slow down. Mm-hmm. So um, they consistently bring in the same, you know, close to amount of business each year. So, yeah, so I think from startup costs, it can be very low to get, you know, once you get past the legal and the obvious appointment fees and things like that, um, just if you're working hard, so. All right. Where do you start 
when you're looking for downline agents? Well, I'm always a believer that most agents sometimes, not most agents, but I, I believe that some agents uh, get a little too distracted by shiny things. And, you know, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. When I first started, Cal, Cal helped me, Craig's dad, and um, he pretty much sent me all over the state of Pennsylvania on appointments. And at the time, in comparison to my previous job, a sale was pretty, like, I drive two hours to an appointment because, you know, I was making still more than what I was making at my, you know, at my previous job. So, but I always think that agents should start in their backyard. You know, I always say to most agents, you know, you should be owning the town that you live in. That's where you should start before you start expanding to the next county or to the next state. You know, I was born and raised in Mechanicsburg and I uh, have two policyholders in Mechanicsburg. I'm sure that there's lots more eligible in that in that town. So mm -hmm. I'm a believer that starting local, um, there's lots of ways to get in the front of agents. I mean, one of, some of the things that we do is uh, we're pretty active with the local NAHU chapters in most states that we're in. And it really, once again, this probably answers a couple of your questions, but you know, <laughs> how does Craig stay on top of things? I mean, you're the he, Craig's the president of our local Nehu chapter, right? So, you know, he's always learning and, and talking to other agents and within the Medicare space and outside. So I just think, you know, where, where to get started, you know, start local, walk down Main Street and talk to the agencies in your area and find out if they're doing Medicare and if it's a, if it's a uh, product line that they'd like to add. P&C shops, I think, you know, we as an FMO struggle with some of those relationships because maybe we're too big and it's helpful to have an, a local agency working hand in hand mm -hmm. um, in a town versus them handing it over to us. Whereas I think there are certain relationships that we are really good for that a local might not help. But I think just walking down Main Street of a few towns in your area and talking to the insurance agents there is a great start. Yeah, I think the only thing I would add to that is to kind of keep the, try to keep a broad focus. So don't necessarily think about recruiting agents as, insurance agents as recruiting agents, but how any company would recruit talent, right? Mm -hmm. So, so you know, don't necessarily be totally focused on just uh, just insurance agents, but be open-minded about other, and, and, you know, try to take in the best practices of other industries as well in mm -hmm. terms of you're basically recruiting talent not necessarily we say recruiting insurance agents but maybe think of it as recruiting talented individuals well i think that's all i have question wise unless either of you have anything that you'd like to add um, advice for anyone starting out with their agency i mean i think you guys have covered it pretty well but i'm going to stick with we covered it okay so, <laughs> thank you uh thank you for the interview thank yeah. you Appreciate the time and uh, good luck to everyone out there. Anything we can do to help you, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. A special thanks again to Craig Ritter and Dave Dietz for taking the time to sit down with me and answer these questions. If you would like to learn more about starting your own agency, I am excited to announce the release of our newest guide, Developing an Agency, Your Guide to Getting Started. In addition to some snippets from this Q&A with Craig and Dave, our guide covers deciding what type of entity is best for your insurance business, agency levels, how to build and market your brand, and so much more. Our agency guide is available as a free download, and we will have a link to learn more about that in our show notes, 
just look for the link that says get your guide today. We will also have a bit.ly URL in there if you listen on an app that doesn't carry over the links we use in our show notes. That does it for this installment of our Agent Survival Guide podcast. We would love it if you would take the time to like, follow, and review our podcast. It helps us out when we're developing our production calendar so we can create more of the episodes you like. So please let us know what you think. And as always, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next episode.